Welcome, friends, to The Hero Beside Me, the podcast that seeks to explore the professional and private lives of working dogs of all kinds. For thousands of years, humans and canines have shared a special bond and an essential partnership, which continues to grow in importance in our society today. Dogs are helping humans in a myriad of ways, performing essential tasks that only they can perform. The more we learn about them, the more endless their potential seems to be. It is my goal to document the way these amazing animals are making an indelible mark on our world with their astonishing abilities, incredible drive, insatiable zest for life, and unconditional love, which they generously bestow upon their humans. Join me as I explore the wonder of these canine heroes beside us. Welcome listeners, I'm so glad you're here. In today's episode, you'll hear a conversation between myself and Jamie Robinson of Canine Biodetection Services. Jamie has been a dog trainer for almost 50 years, and today she's going to be telling us about the work of medical alert and biodetection dogs specifically. I hope you're ready to be impressed by yet another avenue by which dogs are helping humans in a significant and life-changing way. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, thanks for being here. Tell the listeners who you are and a little bit about your history and relationship with dogs. My name is Jamie Robinson. I started basically at my daddy's knee. Um, he had he would, would train beagles for his hunting buddies, and so I kind of learned. The old school training, you know, of course, back in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> and then I discovered marine biology and went to school for marine biology with the intention of eventually sailing with Jacques Cousteau. Hmm. And he died. Oh. So I changed my major and I ended up being a dog trainer. Um, mostly a behaviorist, not so much a trainer. What is a biodetection dog? A biodetection dog is a dog that's trained to sniff out toxins, whether it's environmental or biological, okay. and to alert somebody that, hey, here's a toxin. And what is a medical alert dog? A medical alert dog works for one person who has a disability, specific disabilities being diabetes, seizures, PTSD, anything that has a smell that will come on 10 to 10 minutes to an hour before an actual episode, medical emergency episode happens. A medical emergency would be like uh, having a panic attack um, or blood sugar going down below a safe level or above a safe level, a, a, a strong rise in histamine leading to anaphylaxis, things like that. 
So medical alert dogs fall under the category of service dogs, you would, would you say? Correct. Okay. Yes. So I've, you know, I've heard that dogs can smell cancer and that they can smell COVID, but when it comes to cancer, how would that actually help someone? Because the cancer starts showing up long before any medical tests or medical instruments can detect it. The earlier that you can get to the cancer, the better percentage on a cure. So if a dog can sniff it out when it's first just starting to grow bad cells, eradicating those cells becomes routine and simple. Whereas with medical tests, basically they, a person doesn't even get a medical test for cancer until they're already getting symptoms of having cancer. Mm. At that point, it's you know, about 50-50 whether you're going to make it through the um, therapy or not, and depending on what it is, what kind of cancer it is. So are dogs being used to diagnose patients? To give a doctor a reason to do an in-depth medical assessment. Oh, interesting. So doctors are using them? Insurance companies mostly at this point. Oh, is that right? How popular is it? It's getting more and more popular. Um, first, it had to be established that they could actually do it and that it was real, that they were actually detecting the early stages of cancer. How does that work? Practically speaking, do they just come to regular checkups just in case a person might have? Because if the person doesn't have any symptoms yet, then they won't know to ask for a dog. Right. So one of the first organizations that started using the cancer detection dogs based on the insurance company's recommendation was the fire departments in San Francisco hmm. near the Pine Street Foundation. And so like once every six months, I think they would take a couple of dogs in and all the firefighters and other personnel would line up and the dogs would go down and alert when they would smell cancer or, you know, and that one would be tagged to go to the hospital or doctor to get further testing. No way. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things with cancer and a few other things like valley fever is pretty really common in the Southwest. It's a fungus but I've trained dogs to detect it in humans that they've already been infected by the fungus. But our immune systems in the early stages will often handle the infection before it grows enough that you would need intervention. So a dog could alert on a really early stage of, of cancer but the body is strong enough and the immune system is strong enough that it destroys it. Oh. So then the tests never show a positive. But in general, the dog is usually right. So that fire department, that wasn't a test or was it a test? Was it like a... No, they were paying for it. Wow. Do you know, do you happen to know the statistics of like success rate? 92%. Yeah. What diseases and dogs detect as of now oh, <laughs> okay i'll tell you the ones that i've trained for okay and that i know that others have trained for so parkinson's alzheimer's cancer early detection kidney disease is a good one blood sugar levels for diabetics 
blood pressure, seizures. And we're finally starting to get some research into that to prove that it really can be done, even though I've been doing it for 10 years uh, and other people have too. Mast cell activation syndrome and all that goes with it, POTS, EDS, postural orthostatic intolerance to POTS, EDS is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, there's a lot of things that go along with mast cell activation syndrome. But it's basically what it is, is that the mast cells, which is a form of white cell in everybody's bodies, uh, goes a little crazy and thinks everything's an allergen and puts out enormous amounts of histamine and other chemicals and causes anaphylaxis, hmm. which means an EpiPen and a visit to the hospital. And then we've all heard about the COVID dogs. Is that and There are the COVID dogs. The first ones to be trained were in England. There are now many here in the States. Um, I trained five myself, two of my own and three others. Now, it is not, unless you're working for a company like an insurance company or something like that, the FDA doesn't actually recognize dogs as being a diagnostic tool. That's being worked on. But in the meantime, there's nothing to say that I can't have that my dogs that detect cancer and other things do it to other dogs or cats. Oh. Cancer is cancer is cancer is cancer, no matter where it is in the body or what species it is. That's what Kiva taught me, even though I was taught different at the Pine Street Foundation, that you had to train a dog to individual cancers. Kiva told me, no, that's not true. Kiva They're all dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was the first one that I trained in cancer detection. How do you train a dog to detect cancer or any other disease? I had a vet who did his own necropsies and he would pull the cancer tissue out of the dog, hand it to his vet tech and she would put it on ice and call me and say, I've got some for you. Oh, wow. There's a lot of stuff that you can actually get online. Histamine, leukotrienes, prostaglandins, all the things that go along with mast cell activation syndrome, EDS and POTS. Those, I mean, there's even some of those that you can get on Amazon. <laughs> oh, blood sugar is, is easy for me because I'm diabetic. So when my sugar goes up, I just take, it's automatic for me. When, when I test my sugars and it's either high or low, I just grab a bunch of Q-tips and get some swabs and throw them in the freezer. That way, if I do get a client who's diabetic, I have a starting stash. And with blood sugar, as with cancer and, and a few other things, the smell is the same from person to person. Seizures is another story. <laughs> so if you're you, an insurance company is using a dog as a diagnostic tool, that dog, is it only trained to detect one specific disease? For the most part, yes. Because otherwise, how would you know what they were alerting on, huh? Well, you, the alert is trained. You actually pick a specific behavior for the dog to do when they find that smell. So you mentioned environmental toxins. Do you train dogs to detect those as well? Mold salates, 
coal tar derivatives, things like that. Also, pesticides, pests, leaf mold, you know, all kinds of funguses and molds and chemicals that man has created to do certain things. Like phthalates are basically a substance that makes plastic flexible. And you'll find it in things like your toothpaste tube and sometimes your toothpaste, um, your hairbrush. So most of the toxins out there mess up your endocrine system. So in what sort of real world scenarios are dogs used to detect environmental toxins? Well, with the MCAS people, of course, that's, that's a pretty common trigger. Phthalates, coal tar derivatives, mold. They're very, very common triggers. Almost every MCAS person that I've trained for has those as a trigger. That's what got me into doing the biodetection on those because it's actually a common thing. I know I can't walk down the soap aisle of a store because I'll end up sneezing and, you know, total allergic reaction by the time I get halfway through an aisle like that. And it's not because of the cleaning products themselves. It's because of the fake perfume made from coal tar derivatives that are in all those cleaning products. And generally in the cleaning product aisle is also the really cheap candles and diffusers and room deodorizers and stuff like that. And they all are made with perfumes made from coal tar derivatives. And it is, again, it's an endocrine system issue where it'll really mess you up. So if you're a person that has mast cell activation syndrome, you will go into anaphylactic shock if you smell one of these things. Yeah. Are the training methods for biodetection dogs basically the same as those used for bomb dogs or narcotics detection dogs, etc.? Not entirely, because dogs detecting drugs, explosives, and fake money, um, things like that, their alert behavior is kind of passive. The, the alert is not as important with a dog like that as it is with somebody with a medical condition. A person with a medical condition needs a dog that can impinge on their, you know, impinge on them no matter what's going on. They may already be going into a, a fugue state, a foggy state, and the dog has to impinge enough to get them to take their medicine or get out of there or whatever. But with your environmental detection dogs and your biodetection dogs, where they're not actually working for one person with a disability, the alert isn't as important. So the alerts tend to be somewhat passive, like, okay, we're going to just lay down right here and, and look at where we think the explosive is. That isn't going to get a person with a disability to do something. A person with a disability needs the dog to bump them really hard a few times with their nose. Muzzle punch. So when you're training these dogs, you have to do the scent work and then... And train the alert and then marry the two, yes. So that the dog knows what to do when they smell that smell. And they have to be, their alert has to be somewhat interventionist. Correct. How can something like depression or anxiety smell? As far as I'm concerned, any biochemical change in your body has a unique smell. And the reason I say that is because 
it has worked in every case when I'm training dogs for things that most other people haven't even thought about training a dog for, um, which is why I've been training seizure alert for so long. I have one dog who actually gave a 24 hour alert one time. We're a biochemical machine, basically, the bo our bodies are. So emotions are driven by hormones and the endocrine system. Um, all the things that happen in our body, all the little signals and hormones and blood pressure and all that has a smell to it because it changes the body's smell because the body's doing something different at that moment. All right. So with let's take a seizure, depending on the type of seizure, whether it's a full tonic clonic grand mal seizure or a petite mal or abscess seizure or a drop seizure, the smell starts changing before the symptoms happen. So like with with a blood sugar drop, I can feel it when it's around 60. I trained Micah and Shisobi to let me know when it hit 80. I can't feel it at 80, but I know that they're always right because then I test it with my glucose meter. With, so here's another story for you that kind of illustrates this, right? The very first seizure alert dog that I trained, he has kept his owner seizure-free for nine years because the type of seizure this person has can be stopped if medication is taken within a half an hour before the symptoms of the seizure start. Oh, wow. So we trained this dog to give a 45-minute alert. He... Within the first month after he went to his owner, after his training, he broke out of his crate to alert at three o'clock in the morning. He almost went through a sliding glass door to get to his owner who was in the shower wow. and was about to have a seizure. They went back to his home in Tennessee. I trained the dog in Tucson and his doctor changed his medicine. So the next time he went up to have a seizure, it didn't work. The dog did his normal, you know, I'm alerting, take your medicine, blah, blah, blah. And then it didn't work. And he actually had a seizure at that point. And the dog didn't know what to do because we hadn't trained for support. So he thought we did train for problem solving, however. So he went, opened the front door, ran down the road, 20 acres away, got the neighbors and brought them over. Oh my goodness. So there's more to training a service dog than a biodetection dog in the sense that they need to have problem solving abilities, creativity, industriousness, persistence and resilience. They need to be able to solve what's going on somehow. And the persistence, of course, is that dumb humans have a tendency to ignore things. <laughs> I don't feel sick right now, so you must be lying. And then go about their business <laughs> and then end up in, you know, whatever condition they're going to end up in because of their disability. So the dog has to be persistent. 
Kiva's owner came home the other night and they had been out doing, well, she had been working and Kiva was with her and started alerting on her. So she drove home and apparently she still hadn't taken her Benadryl to stop the anaphylaxis. And Kiva was still alerting on her as they walked in the front door and jumped on her and knocked her to the ground. Wow. Do something. (laughs) So when you train for problem solving, you just sort of, is that just find a way to get help? So find another person? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's figure out a way to make this right. So one of the first mold dogs that I trained had to be able to go into a room and come back out and say, yes, there's mold in there or no, there's not mold in there. Well, teaching a negative is really hard, even with humans sometimes. Okay. So he had to be able to say, I can't find anything and I'm not going to spend the next two hours pretending to look when I know there's nothing in here. So I have to do something to let them know there's nothing in here. And that's the kind of problem solving that they need. Right. So it's not just go find help. Cause you can actually train that with uh, we, one of the dogs that I trained years ago, the lady, when she would go into one of her fugue stakes, could she'd lose her voice and could only whisper. But we trained Storm to respond to the whisper if she, if she said, help, help. And Storm would go find her husband. Wow. So it can be trained. It can also be trained that the dog sees, oh my God, she's doing that posture again, which is not a good thing. I better go get her husband without any cue from the owner. Where do you get the dogs you train? Do clients bring you their dog? Sometimes. We do an evaluation. If the dog passes the evaluation and is young enough, I'll train it. Generally, I won't train anything over two years old unless they've had extensive obedience training so that we don't have to worry about the public access stuff. And all we have to worry about is tasks. Um, the other dogs, generally, we start with puppies between two months and six months. And I've gotten them off Craigslist. I've gotten them from rescues. I've gotten them from breeders. As long as they pass the eval, I'll train them. the the future of detection dogs really right now it's in its baby stages the whole world is open for dogs to show what they can really do i mean this the whole covid thing you know is the the people in england had the first covid dogs within three months because that's pretty much how long it takes to train the first scent after that it's a lot easier but Once you've got that first scent trained and they're reliable, it's about three months. Do you see a world in which every doctor's office and hospital has dogs staff? Yes, as long as the doctor is a specialist and not a GP, 
I can definitely see that. I mean, there's already dogs doing therapy work in schools, at airports, during disasters, um, courtrooms, you know, doing therapy work, and they know what to do. And there's animal-assisted therapy and animal-assisted play therapy. Animal-assisted play therapy is something that I looked at, really looked at doing for a long time because it's so fascinating but I'm not a therapist. So all I could do is train a dog to do it. I couldn't actually do it, which would have been more rewarding. I mean, my reward is always seeing the owner's face the first time the dog alerts. That's my reward. That's what I do it for. Have you seen, there's a woman in San Diego and I think there are others who, she in particular is a speech pathologist I think and she's taught her dog how to use buttons that you step on and then the buttons have to say a word yeah I've seen those I wonder if there's going to be like more merging of these tools for like if you could use buttons audio buttons for like especially like a doctor who had a dog and they could be like oh cancer nope this one has definitely no no, definitely. I could see that happening. Like I said, Kiva knows 14 different scents. And she has seven different alerts, depending on what that scent is. Um, and she's taught herself a few more. But <laughs> like the seizure thing, that was actually her owner's mother um, that had the seizure. Oh. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> she takes care of the whole family, including the other dogs in the family. Um, amazing yeah she's that boxer mix that you that started this whole thing with mcas because she went viral the germans came over from germany and did a whole 90 minute documentary on her and martina and the japanese came from japan and did a whole documentary on her and kiva martina no and kiva. oh yeah what? if you go to my web if you go to the access to service.org website um right in the middle of page one is a link to kiva's story and all the videos are there. What has working with these dogs in this capacity brought to your life or taught you? Oh, wow. <laughs> all the things that I teach the dogs, industriousness, persistence, creativity, resilience, problem solving, all of that has impacted my, my personal life. I feel like I must have gained 20 intelligent points on an IQ test just from working with these dogs and trying to figure out how to teach them to do something and then doing it and seeing if it worked or not. The creativity and the problem solving of myself has grown exponentially. That and being of service to others. Like I said, my reward is seeing the owner's face the first time the dog alerts. It's priceless. What do you see in their faces? Astonishment, wonder, love. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you because they needed a service dog or something along those lines, what would be the best way to get in touch? The best way is by phone. Second best way is email. 
Shall we put that information in the show notes? Yeah, go ahead. All right. And your and your website is caninebiodetection.net. Correct. Okay. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show and for the pioneering work you are doing with dogs. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or a number of other platforms. As I mentioned earlier, I'm your host, Shauna T. I'm a professional photographer, and I'm currently working on a photography project about working dogs. If you would like information about this project, please visit herobeside.me and sign up for the newsletter. Again, that's herobeside.me. Thanks so much. See you next time.